Welcome to the Columbus Area Dot Church Podcast. Encouraging and uniting the Church of Columbus with host Adam Ward. Hello, listeners. Man, I took a few weeks off from recording podcasts and having some scheduling issues with, with, with some people. And now we've got some back to back all stars. And today's guest, no exception. You may or may not have heard of this guy today, but afterwards, you're going to want to share uh, this story with others. I have Danny Ortiz. What's going on, my friend? Thank you so much for being on the show oh, today. Man, it's, it's an honor. It's my honor. My, my honor and privilege to be here, man. Thank you for having me, and I'm excited to be on your podcast, man. <laughs> so, uh, I grew up in D.C. in the 80s. And Danny grew up in the South Bronx South in the Bronx. 80s. Yeah, yeah. So we both have hip-hop roots. I stopped collecting Jordans after I bought the second <laughs> pair of Jordans that ever came out. Danny hasn't stopped. He has dozens and dozens and dozens of pairs of Jordans too, in his closet. Too many. Too many, <laughs> to be honest. Too many. <laughs> now, so big difference is I was a white guy yeah. growing up and... I, I would get harassed by the police, but only until they saw I was a white guy driving my car. Yeah, yeah. And then they'd leave me alone. Danny's uh, Puerto Rican. Yeah. Grew up in the Bronx and had several run-ins with cops over the years and exactly not, right. not favorable run-ins. Absolutely right. I, so I'm a brown guy. <laughs> <laughs> so growing up in the Bronx was not the easiest thing. You know, South Bronx, the birth of hip-hop, early 80s, you know what I mean, when hip-hop is first growing after it. Uh, and the reason I, I just got to give this disclaimer the reason I got I, I have a lot of uh, Jordans now is because I could not afford Jordans back in the day <laughs> me either that's you why I only had one pair <laughs> so I really really wanted Jordans but anybody else I uh, was having Jordans I just didn't know that we all lived on section 8 and we're all public <laughs> assistants just some some folks got Jordans and some folks didn't you know what I mean uh, but yeah, you know, growing up, Run DMC talked about my Adidas. Listen, Run DMC's Adidas, <laughs> I couldn't afford those. I couldn't afford the suit. <laughs> Nothing about it. Nice and smooth back in the days. Um, but yeah, I grew up in the South Bronx, growing up in a tough environment, growing up um, where everything was about race because everyone that was in power was white, and everybody that was not in power was not white. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Was black or brown. So I grew up with Puerto Ricans and blacks. On the projects, you know, you know, my projects had, I was 365 East 183rd Street, probably 3,000 families and, 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 and literally one project building, right? And so that's how, how many folks with us. But it was always, you know, the teacher, the cops, everyone of authority. So it always became a them against us, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? And not until Jesus really uh, restored my heart and, and really gave me love. Was I able to even love? And because it was always the them against us. Always, mm-hmm. I remember. If, if, if you know the '80s, you remember the story of Larry Davids. Mm-hmm. He was a vigilante in the South Bronx. They caught him in my building. <laughs> so my building, uh, it's on TV. I'm 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 one of the ten year old, eleven year old clapping my hands because he was like a vigilante for us. He was like amazing. He's killed all the you know. He had killed like four cops and he he hurt twelve of them. And we were like, yeah, it was just a bad situation just because. We didn't know who we were. We had an identity issue, you know what I mean? And But we had the mentality of a mob, right? Because it was them against us, you know what I mean? Well, you were one of eight kids. One of eight and kids. And your dad uh, wasn't my, around growing up. My dad wasn't around. My dad left when I was eight years old. So my mom had to raise eight kids on her own. You know, and five you're third from the girls. youngest. Third youngest, yeah. 
third youngest. And and five of them did jail time. Yep, yep. And so uh, hard, hard. Again, not not easy. Uh, thank the Lord, God kept me from from jail. It was His mercy and grace that kept me from jail. Um, but yeah, I remember visiting my little sister uh, in her jail in her jail cell. You know, she was there for armed robbery, um, and she was only seventeen years old. You know, so it was the life that. Uh, that we were in, but God really, really restored our family, and God really, really did some miracle miracles. At one time, I was my mom and I were the only ones serving Christ. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So that tells you how I was, because my dad was, uh, you know, a preacher. His dad, his dad was a preacher, fourth generational preacher. You know what I mean? Kind of deal. Um, but left with a woman. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. And, and really, uh, any one of my brothers and sisters at that time, twenty plus, thirty years ago, would never have. You know, they equated God which what we do a lot of times as your dad, mm. right? Because if you have a bad representation yeah. of God, because you have a bad representation of your father, many people see God as their own fathers. And with them, they saw, no, if God's like him, I don't want nothing to do with him. Mm. And, well, I mean, you you would tell me that you, even your family had this distorted view of Christianity, and you did because you loved music, and you would... I was playing music at eight years old at church, so I started playing drums... Uh, moved into playing the piano, uh, playing the bass, but mostly my main instrument is piano. And I remember playing in church music and going from playing church music to going in. I, I, I had to go. I was in Jerome Avenue. I had to go sixth train to the fourth train. By the time I'm in the fourth train in Grand Concourse, walking down to Webster Avenue, I already had robbed two people because we, we had need of food. <laughs> we had need of money. Right? And so I'm literally going from playing music, church songs, a religious setting to robbing people. Wow! Just because that's what we needed to do to survive at that moment. But but still, at that time, you 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 knew you were learning scripture, you were knowing scripture, but you you didn't have that real connection. There was yet. not a connection. So I got healed of a blood disease uh, called ITP. I was mm-hmm. born in uh, I was born with a blood disease called ITP, which is a platelet disease. I was in incubated until I was three years old. Wow! Right, and so. I was not supposed to be living. My family's always knew with me. I, I always had the hand of God on my life. That's mm-hmm. that's all they can describe it. They always call me the church boy, even though I did everything that they did. It was like, Danny, don't beat that guy up too much. You're the church guy. You know what I mean? <laughs> and like they kicking and, and beating this guy up. You know what I mean? So I was always in, intrigued with the word. At ten years old, again, I got I got at that time thought what was salvation. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, the spirit of God hit my heart. You know what I mean? Um, and I've always been one to retain scripture. Mm. Like I've always, so that they always call me the church boy. You know what I mean? Even though, again, I did with my brothers and sisters, there was something about me that was a little bit different because I've always had this, this knowledge and this great love for the scriptures. You know what I mean? So I preached my first sermon at 14 years old. So I'm 14 years old and I remember the sermon. I botched it. It's not a good sermon now that I've been <laughs> and I understand what a Nazarite vow is. Now I know that I really botched it, right? Like one of my good uh, uh, rabbi friends says to me, Danny, you know, Nazarites are real people. <laughs> so I remember 14 years old, almost 30 years ago, preaching this sermon, you know what I mean, that had nothing to do with, but just loves the scriptures, love mm-hmm. the scriptures. You know? And you were ordained as a minister at 16. It's from the Assemblies of God, one of the youngest to ever be ordained. You know what I mean? Just because, again, I had this ability to preach. You know what I mean? Again, back then, preaching was shouting and hacking and doing all this other stuff, right? Because I grew up in a black and Puerto Rican Assemblies of God church. So, 
And he was like, ah, you know, because I can do that. I can play music, of course. And I was there, present. I'm one of the only young people. They like, you know, all the way on. This is the guy, you know what I mean? Let's, mm-hmm. let's, let's, let's. But you love basketball, and you wanted to play college basketball. Man, I wanted to play college ball so bad. But God had I another love basketball, and God's like, nah, you got to give up that love. And it was hard because I really, really loved it. Um, my my younger brother was way, way better than I am mm-hmm. was in it, um, and we both loved it. We both grew up close, playing the game, always playing the game in the streets, and we just loved the game. We loved Jordan again. It's it's in the Jordan days, you know. So Michael Jordan, I wanted to play. And the Lord's like, no, you have a different route. Give up that love. And, and that really was my first encounter with Matthew 16. Mm-hmm. And I remember literally as a young guy reading Matthew 16 and Jesus telling his disciples after, after Peter gets this great revelation of who Jesus is, like, you're a son, Jesus. And like, that's who you are. You're anointed to be son, right? You're Christ, the son, right? Meaning you're anointed to be son. That's the revelation. And... You know, Peter gets rebuked by Jesus right after that. Yeah. And then Jesus goes into the uh, sequility about, just literally starts talking to him about, if you want your life, you have to lose it. And you got to mm-hmm. give up something to gain it. And when I started reading, it, it, it really, Jesus says, and you have to deny yourself. And I'm like, man, that's what? And that's when really the Lord started saying, give up everything for what I want I have a different route for y'all. I need you to go to seminary school. Mm. I need you to go learn more about the scriptures. Learn more about doctrine. Go. And and really, I, I know I'm going to say this. I'm going to get in trouble while I'm saying this, Adam. I learned a lot. What I learned in seminary was man's version of God, but it was still good because I once I got encountered with the with, with who God really was and what it, and real doctrine, I needed to be able to decipher what was man's doctrine and what was God's doctrine. Mm. And I think that's why I went that route. You know what I mean? Um, Man, I tell you, when when Danny talks about good memory recalling scripture, I'll be in meetings with this guy, and he'll tell you what the chapters, adjacent chapters, what the stories are about. It's crazy how much you remember when you're talking. I'm like, man, you better remind me because I don't remember what Revelation 12 was, let alone 11 and 13. But uh, so you so you end up going to school two years you're down there and then you're yeah. like man I'm gonna start traveling and preaching and you yeah. end up finishing your school online and I finished my school online and and I can't, I think I probably not even that I wanted to travel my schedule just started you know um, being hectic you know I was traveling ten months out of the year uh, going from you know Mexico Honduras El Salvador you know preaching you know just doing what I love to do telling people about the scriptures and and really challenging pastors to get into scripture. I know that sounds weird, but I still just started challenging pastors and that became my my like prophetic bent, prophetic calling call to go into places and just challenge pastors to get along with God mm-hmm. and to really know what they teach and knowing what they because I really love doctrine and I really love the scriptures and I wanted to make sure that we were teaching and preaching Right, doctrinal real stuff that Jesus talked about, and not made up man religion. I, I, I and I, you've heard me say this before. I call modern day evangel- evangelicalism glorified Catholicism, right? Because we've we've been handed a system that has nothing to do with Jesus and had nothing to do with the Gospels, mm-hmm. has nothing to do with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, has nothing to do with the early church in the Book of Acts. We don't see the early church in today's church, and so. We have somewhere down the line, the deception of the enemy has come in to distract us from our identity as children to be able to accomplish really what I believe Jesus wanted to accomplish 
when he died and ascended, right? Which is your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Mm. Well, Danny, so you, you, uh, I'm going to open the door to stepping on toes here because I know you, you step on some toes there. Yes, um, you've you know you've you've challenged me in my thinking, and, and you know, and, and I've had this bent. You know, by nature, you're a debater and an apologist. Yes. Um, you know, the late uh, Ravi Zacharias is one of my favorite. What a, one of my incredible. <laughs> matter of fact, shout out to his family, to his wife, uh, because he's he, he was one of the great influences of my life. Mm. Um, to, again, I, what I loved about Ravi. He never stopped challenging himself. No, he didn't. Because I think that's the greatest thing. The greatest thing about anyone that loves apologetics is not about challenging other people. It's challenging yourself, mm-hmm. right? It's, 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 uh, there's a book written out, a psychologist, that talked about the fixed mindset, right, and the growth mindset, mm-hmm. right? And we can get into one or the other. The fixed mindset, really, what they say in the fixed mindset has to do with pride. The growth mindset has to do with humility, mm-hmm. right? Meaning I'm able to grow within right. myself and say... I used to think this way, but I grew out of that way, and I matured, and now I understand it better. And we have to be able to say, again, like I said when I was 14, I, I think about the Nazarite now, I think through the Jew, Judaistic uh, Jewish point of view. I don't think about anything that has to do with Christianity. I think about those who have been called sacredly as Jews to be Nazarites, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I have a different prism now. 30 years later, why? Because I have friends that are, uh, that are, that are rabbis. I do a, you know, a podcast every week with a rabbi. I have learned and done what Isaiah chapter 2 tells us to do, to go learn really the Torah from those who know the Torah better than us. Hmm. Right? And then humble ourselves to know what do these things mean because I don't want to take it out of context mm-hmm. and I don't want to take God out of context. Mm-hmm. Right? Contextual, look, uh, the, the contextual eye uh, of the Bible really is the contextual eye of God, right? Mm-hmm. It's putting God in its proper context. Not only your interpretation, but what God is meaning, right? And then that gives you then the beginning and the end the right way. Mm-hmm. Wow. So uh, when I when I do my consulting, my favorite clients are ones that approach the boardroom. We're sitting in a boardroom now that approach the boardroom with humility. Yes. And I know that I can help transform that company if that. CEO, if that chief, you know, uh, technical officer is going to have humility. If they're going to say, I know everything, then we're not going to transform that company. They'll stay on their same path. Um, now, what, what I like is even in the conversation right before we had this, so we talk about how much, you talk about how much Christianity was watered down from the first century church to Constantine. And then when all the creeds came out, and then how it got watered down again when it went from Constantine Christianity to American Christianity. And you would posit that it's an identity issue that we have. Could you expound on that? Yeah, I, I think I say this all the time. We don't have a sin issue in the world. We have an identity issue. And I know people cringe when I say that. But I, I, will, I will challenge... I'm cringing any, right now. I will, and I will challenge, challenge anybody. Did Jesus not take care of the sin on the cross? Hmm. He eradicated it. It's done once and for all, right? Now, do we have people that sin, and do we all sin daily? Absolutely. If not, we will. John, First John one eight says you're a liar, right? Right. If you say you have no sin, you're a liar, and the truth is not in you. That's what First John one eight says, right? And so, no, 
yeah, we do send. Again, I grew up in a religion where if you was driving a car and someone crashed you, you said a cuss word, you're going straight to hell. Mm. Right? That's religion. That has nothing to do. If you think that you're going to die with no sin, then you have missed the boat. And that's why I said we. It's not a sin issue. It's an identity issue. Mm. Why? Because Eve sinned after she was on a misidentity. It was a byproduct. Sin is a byproduct of you not knowing who you are. Mm. Why? Because the enemy tells her, literally, if you eat this, you'll be like God. She believed a lie. Mm. Eve, you already like God. We know in Genesis 1, 26 that he says, you made in my image and in my likeness. You mm. already like me, right? But because she believed the lie of the enemy about herself, she fell in the trap of what sin. That was a byproduct of that. And so a lot of times we are attacking people's sin issues. Those are all byproducts of who they don't, they don't know who they are, mm. right? I'm going to take it back to the New Testament, Matthew chapter 3, verse 17. The heavens open up, and Jesus has this, John and Jesus have this moment. Like, think about the heavens moving up. This dove is coming down and the shows, you know what I mean? And the heavens, and he's saying, this is my son, my beloved son who I'm well pleased. Well, what is, what is he pleased about? Jesus haven't done a thing. Mm-hmm. For 30 years of his life, he has not done one miracle. He's a carpenter. He is a carpenter. He is <laughs> chilling, being the son Mary's of son Mary. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, and Joseph. You know what I mean? He's not thinking about anything else but doing that. But then that pleased God, and he called them beloved, right? Because his identity had nothing to do with his duty. Right? We don't look at the beauty of things. We look at the duty. I have to work to get God's attention. And we don't understand God already has your attention. Why? Because 2,000 years ago when Jesus said it was finished, it was finished on all of our behalves. And I don't have to work for anything else. I can just live in knowing that he had my back 2,000 years ago when he said it was finished. And so he is Jesus now, identified, being blessed with his identity and saying, you're a son for the, then for the next three years. So this is what we want. So he didn't have to do anything to prove Nothing himself. to prove himself, right? And we see the fight of this identity issue with the enemy because he tries the same thing he did with Eve. He tries it him in chapter 4. Now chapter 4, verse 1, is, is, is a dichotomy in theology, right? Because it says, Now the Holy Spirit led Jesus to the wilderness <laughs> to be tempted. Now, if anybody has ever studied theology, that is one of the most debated, right? Because it's like, how could the Holy Spirit and why would the Holy Spirit lead him to be tempted, right? Why? Because he had to make sure, do you know who you really are, Jesus, right? Because in order for you to carry this out, you'll have to carry your identity all the way through. Because there's going to come a moment that you're going to be in a garden and you're going to have to give up everything that you think of humanity. Mm. Because you're fully God and fully man. And so he knew that God is coming. Right, three years later, the garden's coming. What is the garden gonna do? You're gonna have to make a choice in that time. Do I live my life? Or because I know that I'm a son and I know I'm gonna die so that other sons can know who they are, I'm gonna die. Mm. Right? So this is I'm gonna get back to that story of Jesus and I'll tell you this how why identity is such an important issue. Think about this. Jesus really just came to reestate man back to the sunset of, of who they are. Mm-hmm. Identity was all that he came to do. Why? Because when man lost his identity in the garden, right? What, what, what was the question? God is looking for Adam. Adam, where are you? Mm-hmm. Right? He did not ask Adam where he's at because he don't know where Adam is at. He's asking Adam because he wants to know, does Adam know where Adam's at? Mm-hmm. 
Adam, do you know where you at with me? I know where you at physically, but I'm letting you know that no matter what, I'm still calling for you. Mm. No matter what you just did, I'm still calling for you. And I still let you know that we don't have to break this thing. Mm. We don't have to break communion. I know you messed up, but we don't have to break communion. But this is what Adam does in his fallen state. I'm going to give you the version that I think you want to see of me. Mm. And because he doesn't want to be himself, because he doesn't know how to be himself, he doesn't know how to, why? All he knows is the shame of what Satan put on him. Mm. Right? And so now his identity is fully gone. Now shame has came. What religion comes to do is bring shame on us. Mm. Where I don't feel like I can come. Listen, I'm never going to be good enough. And all Adam had to do at that moment was tell God, God, I messed up. Look who I am. Look, it is what it is. I'm naked. God, all God wanted Adam to do was face his nakedness. But Adam didn't. What he did, he created fig leaves, right, out of a tree, right, to think, well, I got to cover myself because he's got to see me. Mm-hmm. And what, what did he ask him? Who told you you was naked? Mm-hmm. Meaning, who misidentified you and told you that I want to see you covered? Mm-hmm. You can't cover yourself. Only my presence. Remember, at that moment, only the presence of God was the only thing that was covering his nakedness. Mm-hmm. And God's like, I always want you to live from presence, not from your version of identity. And so what happens? Then because he didn't want to face the fact, he didn't want to face the hurt that he caused himself and the hurt that he caused God, God says, I'm going to have to now kick you out of the garden and, and send you to the wilderness. Mm. Why? Because of that you didn't want to deal with, so, with who you really were. The whole Testament, people tell me all the time, Danny, and when I'm having discussions with them, explain the Old Testament. How could a, a God be so evil? So God is not evil in the Old Testament. God's showing man how evil man is. Mm. Jesus could have come that day, that same day, Jesus was the answer when Adam messed up. Right? He could have come that day, but he didn't. Why? Because Adam did not know really the severity of what was broken yet. Mm. Right? And then he would have not received the gift the way he needed to receive it. Mm. It would have been a competitive situation. Right? Why? We know that because Cain and Abel comes right after. Yeah. Right? It would have been a competitive issue. So to the whole Old Testament, it's just God revealing man's heart to man. Mm. So that man can really know how evil we are. So that when the gift of Christ comes, we can receive it and know there's nothing you can do. You're too evil to actually deserve it. It's not a deserving thing. It's that he wants to give it to you. Mm. He wants to reestablish that he loves you anyway. What? <laughs> so check this out. So he goes from the, the garden to the wilderness. Jesus then reestablishes man's identity in the wilderness. So Jesus appears after he's then identified by the father. The first test is what? The wilderness. Because he has to show man in the place man is at. Hmm. That you still loved. That you still accepted. No matter what you are, I still want you. And he goes from the wilderness, check this out, to the garden. The last, the first place we see him in ministry is in the wilderness. The last place we see him is in the garden. Why? Because he's reestablishing garden living. Whew. Right? And then not only this, after that garden where it's the same issue, not my will, but your will be done. Mm-hmm. Now, Jesus goes, I don't have to hide anymore. I can be who I am. So the word says, where was the last place we see Jesus on earth? 
The last place, Adam. Right before the ascension. He's he's on a cross. Uh, oh, by everybody. But he's yeah. he's what naked. <laughs> the same tree that Adam hide his nakedness. Jesus now, because all God wanted Adam, the first Adam, to do, just be naked. Why? Be take the so the second Adam says. I'll take on the nakedness of the world. And instead of hiding behind the tree, I'll lay on top of the tree. That's the redemption of man. That Jesus took it all. And when he said it was finished, he released the Holy Spirit so that the Holy Spirit can be in you, so that you can be reinstated with the Father and know that you cannot shake his love. (laughs) That's the victory of the cross. The victory of his cross has got brought back to our identity who we was as sons and daughters of the king. So that when you and I are looking at each other, I'm not looking at it as a fallen man, a sinful man. I'm looking at it as a son that's redeemed, not by his works, not by the redemption that you can bring, but the redemption that one man, Jesus, did for all of us. And I think we have gotten so accustomed to that comment it's no longer powerful to us but one of the things that you talk about danny is we we today as christians and as christian leaders are biblically illiterate we don't know the bible and you know and you spend a lot of time with rabbis you're you share a building um with a with the jewish institute and they are immersed in the law day and night if you got a rabbi and then not only that you got a kohan rabbi you have the rabbis and rabbis, which was Jesus, Jesus' mama. Jesus was called Rabboni, which is the teachers of teachers. Not only you're a rabbi, you teach rabbis. You know what I mean? That's another level of study. I, I've been to Poland where the schools, uh, uh, where literally rabbis that are the highest rabbis go in. And not only do they have to know the Torah. So in order for you to be a rabbi, you have to know the Torah verbatim. Five books. Five books. You have to know everything about those books, where they're at, what they said. And remember, they don't look at chapter and verse like we do. Right. They have to know exactly each story. Not only that, they have to also know the Talmud. And they have to learn their writings about these stories. So they have to know this in memorizing. So you're talking about studies of studies. They have spent years and years all they do is study the scriptures. When you go to Israel, if you will get a chance to go with me, we'll go. And we go underneath the tunnel where the, where the wailing wall is at. To the left, there's a tunnel. And all those are students, are rabbis. And you see them day and night just immersed in the scriptures of the word of God. We don't do that. You know, what? We, you know our, our, the best that we have is we hear a preacher preach to us every week. That's, but what about the preachers? That's how far it's great. Most of them are stealing messages from Google. Again, I'm going to step on toes. And they know it's true. They, they absolutely know it's true. They steal sermons. Listen, plagiarism is huge in Christianity, right? Because we don't know how to say, hey, I learned this from this person. I got this from this person. I got this from this person. We think that's a, that's a bad thing, right? Where rabbis constantly quote rabbis and sages of ages, Right. Um, um, one of the, uh, the um, what is the rabbi's name? One of the ones that Rashi. So if you hear a lot of rabbis talk about that, they'll talk about Rashi, which one of the greatest writers 
and rabbinic uh, studies, right? So they constantly would say, and Rashi says this about this, right? Because they bring honor to those who bring more highlight and through humility. Why? Because they want to learn and they want to grow, right? Through this. And, and they don't never disrespect older revelation, right? They just build on it, right? Mm-hmm. We got this battle. My church is better than your church. And we don't see the kingdom, right? Jesus' first words, his first message in Matthew 4, 17, repent. For the kingdom of God is at hand. Mm-hmm. That verb, repentance, doesn't mean to cry at an altar. It doesn't even mean to turn 180, which is, is a wrong interpretation. That turn 180 is a, a, a Hebrew version of repentance. Mm-hmm. That word Greek, that word repentance is metanoia. It means change the way you think. It's pentos, where we get the, the word penthouse, where we go to the top of your mind, change the way you think. So literally, Jesus is screaming out to these people, hey, change the way you think. But the kingdom is a different thought pattern. Mm. And it's at hand. That word at hand means colonization. We're going to colonize earth to look like heaven. And it's a different thought pattern because the thought pattern you have right now, the 613 laws that you're throwing, the, the, really the, 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 the religion that you're living is not the relationship as a father that he wants to have with you. He's talking to Jewish men, mm. Jewish people that understand the Torah. But what is he telling them? I'm coming with a different thought pattern which is a heavenly thought pattern. And so we got to preach that message of the kingdom because Jesus said to do it, not because we want to, right? So we don't understand the kingdom. We don't understand identity, right? Because what does the kingdom bring, Adam? It brings identity, community, and security, right? And community doesn't mean my church and my corner. Mm-hmm. The community of the kingdom, meaning, and, and, and I think you and I share the same heart. Why can't we have how many people are coming to the Lord as a city, why? Because we don't understand kingdom. Mm. Everything's building our own identity, our own kingdom. Oh, we're the church of the bikers, and we're the church of this, and nothing against those little things. We got to teach the kingdom, because mm. the kingdom doesn't see no wars. Mm. The kingdom doesn't see that, that, oh, you go to Baptist, and you go to Assemblies of God, and you go to Church of God. The kingdom says, we are kingdom citizens and sons and daughters of the kingdom at the same time. Wow. So what would you, how would you challenge us to get biblically literate and to see the kingdom? I know these are two big questions, but to see the kingdom on earth, kind of like, the first how challenge, do we as leaders, the, those, what do are, we need those to do? are huge questions. And I think <laughs> they take layers uh, for both of those questions. So let me, let me talk to leaders first. Leaders, the, the first thing with leaders is humility. That's the first thing, man. I, and I, it just... It's being humble enough, humble enough to say, I may not, and, and it's not about being right. I think that's the key. The key is that people want to be right and not want to grow. The kingdom is not about right or wrong. It's about can you grow to maturity, mm. right? There are three levels in Judaism. There's the child, there's the adolescent, the teenager, and then there's an adult. Jesus got a, 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 his big inauguration happened when he was 30. That is not by accident. Mm-hmm. God didn't do that by accident. So, you know, I think the first approach is, is, is with humility saying, I want to grow. So I was talking about the three segments of uh, Judaism, right? These children. And the scripture also, all th- weaving through it, tells us that, right? Galatians 4 tells us that the slave is no different than the child, though he's ruled them all over all, all. What does it mean? Until he goes to 
tutors and governors to teach them, right? Really, there has to go the process of maturity. If you look at the apostolic call, the fivefold ministry, why? So the saints can come to the maturity of Christ, right? We don't look at this thing of growth in Christianity. We look at it right, wrong. They don't know. We don't. We know better. Come follow us. And I think a lot of it, be honest, a lot of them is motivated by finances more than anything else. And we can lose the motivation of finances and say, we need to grow and the folks around us need to grow and literally just create an atmosphere of growth. I believe we touch the heart of the Father because God is interested in growing. Not everybody's going to be in the same place. Not everybody's going to want to be in the same place. And Jesus gives allotments to those. In Matthew 13, he gives those. He says, you're going to, the good ground is good. Some are going to uh, reap 30, some are going to reap 60, some are going to reap 100 fold. He's talking about good ground, good folks that love the Lord. They're not all going to be. Some of them are going to be babes, some are going to be adolescents, some are going to be mature. They all think of a different. We know teenagers are rebellious. They're rebellious, well, I would call rebellious teenager <laughs> leaders in the body of Christ. You know what I mean? There are those that are babes that don't want to grow any further. You know, but it's those, if you look at it through a place of maturity, it's not I know better. Maturity is how can we get everyone to grow, mm. right? A mature dad does want, what, wants to do what? Wants to be a dad. Mm-hmm. Wants to love and wants to father the, the people that are around. You know what I mean? They don't want to take from you. I don't need nothing from you. I want to give you so you can be the best, right? A, a, a teenager, a guy that's young, I'm taking, I'm taking. We need to get to the place of maturity that we're literally given and setting atmospheres for ourselves. And I want to challenge leaders to get intimate with the Father. Mm-hmm. And I know that's hard, but Barna Research, just look at Barna Research and it tells you how many, how much even pastors read the Bible, right? How much they pray a week. We're not praying, we're not reading the scriptures, right? You can't spend time with God in His presence and not want to be in his word mm. because he's going to tell you, go into my word. And I believe that we just need encounters upon encounters with the presence of God. Jesus said something powerful in Matthew chapter six. He said, I don't want you to be like the hypocrites and I don't want you to join into religion of the duty of doing things just to do them. He said, but go into your room, close the door. Your father's going to be there in a secret place. So powerful. Many people don't have a room where they can close the door and spend time with God daily. And many people don't, don't really believe that the Father's going to be there. Mm-hmm. They don't believe they can have that intimate relationship with Jesus. I talk a lot about praying in the morning. Why? Because Jesus is our good example. Adam, is Jesus our greatest example? <laughs> right? Mark one thirty five says early in the morning, way early in the morning. It says before the dawn. You know what I mean? So we believe it's 3 o'clock in the morning. He said he wakes up, goes to a solitary place, and prays. This is after spending a whole day being pulled on by people. Miracles are happening, all these crazy. He knows it's going to be crazy coming up. He knows by 9 o'clock in the morning, I'm already healing another person. And from 3 to 9, he's in a solitary place praying. If it's good enough for Jesus to spend that. And I always say this. Jesus spent most of his life, John 8, he's praying all night long. Luke 14, praying all night long. All these scriptures you can talk about Jesus praying all night long and spending most of his three years in prayer. The question becomes, Adam, what the heck is he praying about? Mm. He doesn't need a thing. Right. Luke 9 tells us he doesn't have a, <laughs> the Son of Man doesn't have no way to lay his head. Right. So we know he's not, talk, he's not worried about where he's going to sleep. He's not worried about what he's going to eat. He's not going to worry about nothing. What the heck are you spending so much time? 
He understands this. I don't do nothing that I don't see my father do. Mm-hmm. John 14, I don't say nothing that I don't hear my father say. And if we can get to the point where we get intimate with the father, where everything is from a gaze position, I don't want to move. I don't want to speak unless I see and speak and move. If he's not telling me to do it, I'm just going to get to know him better. Right? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to go try to win the world. I just want to get to know him better. Why? Because in knowing him better, then I know myself better. Mm-hmm. Then I'm able to show him to the world. Mm-hmm. Wow. Now, whew, we've opened up a bunch of can of worms on this episode. A lot of deep reflecting we can do on this. We're in this time of COVID. Churches are effectively shut down. Um, I, I don't, there's, you don't think, I don't think that there's going back to, no, quote, normal. Um, you, you hinted at the fivefold ministry. Um, yeah, briefly, what, what do you think churches and leaders could do, you know, as we're rebuilding the ecclesia, that you're, the wallless kingdom, or to be able to usher this um, kingdom down? What, should, what, what are things we could be doing right now to straighten some of the stuff Const, uh, Constantine and the American church has, has, has unfortunately watered down? I will start with this. And, and I don't even mean to be disrespectful when I say this. You know my heart. Matthew 16 says that you can't build. He builds. Mm-hmm. He said, I will build my church. I will build my ecclesia. Now then you have to then take notice. How do you build your ecclesia? Right? Jesus gives you the answer of how he wants to build. The thing is that we're not subject to him. We're subject to other men. right? And so we have to then take our eyes off man's virgin of what we call Christianity, man's version of what we call the ecclesia, and say, then Jesus, I have to search out what you say about the ecclesia and and then do that and do the nothing else. Mm. Because I think what we do is we mixed, right, all these different two thousand years of tradition. Yeah. And we don't know how to get and say it's insane to continue to what we're doing, right? And continue to get the same results, right? It's insanity to me, right? We know that's what, that's what insanity means, but we continue to do it, right? We know that we're not producing mature Christians, that the climate that we're living in right now in Christendom, especially in the country called America, which you and I were born in, the climate is not producing and it's not conducive for the growth of the mature saint to do the work of the ministry. Mm-hmm. Then we have to then backtrack and go, where did we like started our own version and started building our own church. And let's go back to Yeshua, Hamashiach's way of building the church. And Yeshua makes it clear how he wants to build the church. We don't even have to add to his words. He tells us in Ephesians 2.20, I built the apostles and prophets with Christ being his chief cornerstone. He gives us examples through the early church, right? right? When they were trying to rebuild Israel, right? And their mindset was out there. He's like, you get it. I'm the God of the whole world and you're not even understanding. And then he ascends and then the presence of God falls into this place called the upper room, which you and I have been to, right? Mm-hmm. And when you go into the upper room, you start looking around, you're like, it started here. Yes, is that, but that, he says, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the world. We've forgotten about, about Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Number one, that's where it started. And he says, don't forget about it. And his eyes, he tells in Deuteronomy 10, his eyes are on Jerusalem day and night. So that's a great start. Then he says this. Then he says, now go. I'm going to push the church to go further. How? He's then the first martyrdom, Stephen, that we see to do what? So that we can get out of our comfortness, right? Because he knew they're getting too comfortable 
We're playing religion. And he didn't want them to continue the Judaistic religious of the day. So he's like, I need you to spread you out because mobility really is about growth. You move, the more you move, the more you grow, mm. right? And it becomes, um, so what is Jesus' version of growing a church? Well, he tells you uh, in Ephesians 4 that he put the fivefold ministry so that the church could become mature. So if the church is not mature, then we got to understand we've been building on a Constantinian model, which is what? Which is an Old Testament model. Give me somebody to get to him. Mm. What? Yeah, your first Samuel one, uh, uh, first Samuel chapter 8. Give us a king. Give us a king like all the other nations. Oh. Right? Give us somebody. Give us somebody that I can look and emulate. And he's like, I've, I tore the, the veil. And I'm not only giving you one body. I've given you many to teach you. Right? We don't have real, we don't have real teachers. We don't have real um, instructions of the day. And so Jesus splits it, split it between five people, five offices or gifts or whatever you want to do. And we can get into that. You can call me and we can literally just <laughs> go into that scriptures. But this model of having one man lead the church has to die. Hmm. He's never called one man to lead. And I know, listen, people used to tell me, a two-headed monster, listen, whether it's two-headed or one-headed, it's still a monster. You know what hmm. I mean? You know, Jesus never gave it all on one man's shoulder to do anything. You know how many pastors I meet all over the world? All over the world. I'm not talking about here, just in America. All over the world that are just tired. And when they tell me they're tired, I know they've been doing it. Mm. Right? They haven't been letting Jesus build his church. Because Jesus, when he builds his church, is a living organism. It's not a stagnant water. It's not a water that's diseased. It's a moving, con- flowing water. And people are growing in maturity. Right? And so for us, we're not growing because we're doing it our way. We elevated the one office called pastor, the shepherd. To lead a movement when he never says to lead the movement of the ecclesia. He calls apostles and prophets to lead the movement of the ecclesia. We see that clearly in Acts chapter 6, right, of the Bible. Read Acts chapter 6 shows you that they say stuff that will be offensive today. (laughs) They're like, you need to come help us feed. They're like, no, our job is to be in the word and in prayer. But we'll raise up pastors, Stevens, to do what they do, which what? Which is be with the people, Mm. right? And, and to, to do what? So that they can push people to have a greater relationship. Our job as leaders of the body is to push people to have a greater relationship, not with us, not with our ministries, with the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Because the, in the end, the Holy Spirit will lead you and guide you to our truth. Mm-hmm. Right? And so it's not my job. I always tell people, if you're in a ministry where the person's all about them and they're leading you to their message, and, oh, I got the message and I got... No, 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 no. We have nothing but Him. Mm-hmm. I, we have to point people to him and the proper way of pointing him is through the proper way of having accountability with one another and our leaderships don't have accountabilities why because we have one man running the show and it's the way he says it and how he says it and that's not scriptural that you can't find that in the bible and i'll challenge any preacher and again this is going to offend somebody but i don't mean to offend you at all the word pastor is mentioned eight times in the whole bible seven in the old testament one time in the new testament the word apostle is mentioned 87 times in the New Testament. The enemy has come to deceive us. So that what? I believe through God's grace and mercy is not to get us not to get to heaven. I think we're going to go to heaven is so that we can never bring heaven on earth. Mm-hmm. So that we can get mature enough to bring heaven on earth. Mm-hmm. And remember, Jesus' cry was not only to make it to heaven. Can we bring heaven on earth? Your kingdom come. Because we know in the end of the book, Yeshua HaMashiach is coming to reign. Mm-hmm. Here on this earth, mm-hmm. right? Psalms one sixteen verse fifteen, right? 
the heavens I made for me, but the earth I made for my children. Mm. Right? And we know by the time Revelation 20, 21, and 22 get there, there's a reigning and ruling here on this earth. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And Jesus said, you can have it today if you have the proper, literally, if you do it my way. Mm. Wow. Man, there's so there's so much more we could dive into, but I know we're we're, we're over on this this episode. Dan is great, and look, listeners, I can't I can't go into any more. But I was sitting in a meeting with Danny one time. He's texting a White House advisor on some racial issues. He's connected with you know the government here. His best friend ends up being uh, NBA All Star and uh, and uh, former Buckeye standout, and um, so you know. I just, Danny, I love your heart, and you're, you're, you're challenging me. Hopefully, you're challenging your leaders, us, to be better, to find our identity in Christ, to leverage the Holy Spirit in our lives, um, and to further people along that spiritual maturity continuum like we were called to do in making disciples. So, man, Adam, thank you for your heart, man. Thank you for your heart to literally, when the Holy Spirit spoke to you, and say, go, go, go speak to the leaders of this city. You took it and you said, I'm going to go, not knowing what you was doing, just <laughs> I'm going to go. And I think part of what the Lord is having you do is collectively bring the body of Christ together. Because I believe this city, we have so many giants of the faith. We do. And if we can bring them together with the same heart and not, again, with this kumbaya moment, because I hate those kumbaya moments, you know what I mean? It's not the kumbaya, but really to say, how can we enhance the kingdom of God? And how we can take Jesus' message about the kingdom, which he, he preached more about that topic than any other topic. Mm. How do we talk about that collectively and, and literally have an ecclesia collectively to then sit in governance positions in these cities so that we can see this city transform? That's what it's about. That's so awesome. So man, thank, thank you for your man, Thanks for being on the show today. I'm, I'm going to have to have you on again here soon because I know you've got more to share. But man, it's, it's an honor and a pleasure. Again, and thank you for your heart, man. And let's do it together, all of us growing together. And, and my prayer for anyone that's listening is uh, if you heard anything today, it, 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 listen, uh, if you got offended, I, I apologize. It's not my heart to offend. But if you heard anything I said, hear this. Burn and go after God with all your heart. Find a place in your home, in your school, wherever you go to work at, where you, daily you can spend time in the presence of God. That's my heart for you. Is there a way for people to reach you if they want yes, to reach you? Yes, thewavecolumbus.com. So if the you, wave Columbus. If, if you go to the wave, T-H-E-W-A-V-E, columbus.com, uh, all three podcasts, you can get a hold of them from there. Uh, you can email me directly from there. They can email. Once you email me, you can find me on LinkedIn through there. Uh, all, all, you know, Instagram through it. Everything is through the wave, uh, Columbus.com. Please, I would love to have conversation. I, I think I'm meeting with a pastor this Friday. That's someone else. You know, I love, uh, I love to meet with pastors. I love uh, these days uh, more than ever. I'm consulting a lot of pastors. Um, and again, together coming beside you uh, to not uh, to not uh, ruffle the feathers, just to ruffle them, but to see us all grow in the mm. kingdom. Cool. Thanks, Danny. Blessings, my brother. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. Also, rating and reviewing us on iTunes helps get the word out.